Well, hello, friend, and welcome back to the podcast. Now, this episode is going to be a little bit different, but not totally different because we've done one of these before. If you tuned in a little while ago, I released an episode here on Unfuck Your Biz that was an interview where I was the interviewee on my friend Claire's podcast. So she was actually interviewing me for her podcast. This is going to be a same format, same style, but this is an interview that I did with my book coach, Jody Brandon from Jody Brandon Editorial on her podcast, Write, Publish, Market. So she was asking me questions about my book, why I wrote it, all that kind of good stuff. We did this interview probably about a year and a half ago, uh, and it was a little while after the launch of the Unfuck Your Biz book. And if you didn't already know, I just got uh, wrapped up working on the second edition of the book. So I made some updates to the book. So we are launching that on, when are we launching that? Uh, Next week. So next Thursday, we're gonna be promoting that. And next Thursday, I'm gonna be doing a new episode talking about the book updates, all that kind of stuff. But for now, I thought we'd go back to the basics and kind of revisit the original journey, so to speak. So with that in mind, uh, buckle in and I'm going to turn it over to Jody to interview me. Welcome to the Write, Publish, Market podcast. If you're an entrepreneur considering writing a book to serve your business, you're in the right place. Or maybe you've already decided that's even better. I'm your host, Jody Brandon, book publishing partner for entrepreneurs and 20-year veteran of the book publishing industry. On the Write, Publish, Market podcast, in addition to learning from me, you'll meet entrepreneurs just like you and hear about their experiences as we explore all facets of writing, publishing, and marketing a book that will help your business grow in ways you might not even have dreamed of yet. Brayden Drake is a California licensed attorney and tax professional. His tagline is, your gay best friend, here to help you get your legal and tax shit legit. Brayden works primarily with service-based creative small business owners through his membership and course, where he educates on contracts, business entities, cash flow, and taxes. Hey, Brayden, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk about your book. We're recording this a few weeks in advance, but by the time the episode is published, it's just about the time of your book launch. So like, super exciting. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. Hopefully everything goes well. And hopefully my copy editor doesn't tell me I have to go back to the drawing board next week. (laughs) She will not. I can't read the future, but I do know she won't say that. Okay, perfect. I mean, you've already <laughs> read it how many times? Like at this point, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're past good. that point for sure. Yeah, no, we're in good shape. Final stretch, home stretch. So I, I always like to talk about like at the beginning, like what made someone decide that writing a book was a good idea or like, and how they thought writing a book was going to fit into their business. Because I know everybody's business is different and they envision the book in different ways and doing different things for them. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like what made you think, Ooh, I want to do a book. Yeah, well, I kind of always wanted to write a book. I'm pretty achievement oriented. So we were talking about this kind of before we hit record. And I remember we're going to go all the way back, Jody, to like elementary <laughs> school. So I remember I got pretty into reading in elementary. And I'm from a pretty rural area. Like my sister loved the Babysitter's Club. But like other than that, no one in my family were really voracious readers. And I was always like a little bit nerdier than the rest of my family. I was never like academically a stellar student. You know, I was never going to get like straight A's without 
really trying. I got pretty good grades. But for whatever reason, like in my mind, I had writing a book as this like monumental task and achievement that like smart people did. And I think I think I kind of put that same. Yeah, I think I put that like kind of same placeholder like on a lot of things like smart people go to good schools and smart people like have a lot of reasons smart people write books. And then at Uh some point I was like, these are the things that I want to do in my life. Probably not the best motivator, but that was always kind of in the back of my mind. But then, of course, like most of us, can I swear on your podcast, Jody? Sure. Why not? Okay, so I won't go crazy, but at some point, I'm sure I was like, well, what the fuck am I going to write this book about? But it, it, it kind of all clicked together because if you remember when I shared the Airbnb with you and Megan a little over a year ago, we Megan was basically like, your business model sucks and we need to redo that. So I do recall that. Shout out Megan Maydell. <laughs> Shout out Megan Maydell. So I rechanged my whole business like overnight on an Airbnb sofa. If you remember, I like created a whole brand for it as one does. does. (laughs) I came up with a new framework and I started kind of noodling on that. I created a whole new course within a few months teaching that framework. And then that kind of the framework ended up evolving into the book to not make this a super long story. First of all, that's not what this podcast is about, but let's just take an aside and talk about that for a minute because literally we were at a conference, an event, and we were sharing an Airbnb and we had come home from like the long day of masterminding and at this event and we're just hanging out and Megan and I think we're just going to, you know, like pop open a bottle of wine, hang out. And next thing you know, like Braden is like redoing his entire business and we're just like, okay, so that's what we're doing tonight. Okay. That's, that's a good Tuesday night. <laughs> Um, okay, to be fair, though, I'm a very good multitasker. And it's not like that was the sole focus of the e- evening. No, we were all chit- totally we were all chit chatting. And while you two were having a swell old time, I rebranded <laughs> my whole business. And then three hours later, I showed you all the Canva documents. And I think you both were like, Oh, I we didn't even really know what you were doing over there. Yeah, I mean, we just thought you were over there, you know, like screwing around on YouTube or something like I didn't realize you were actually redoing your business. But look, look at where I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's just like kind of how I operate in general. Um, I just get an idea and run with it. Yeah. Because my whole thing is we all, or at least I should speak for myself, I get energy in spurts. So some days I'm not super motivated. Other days I get really excited about something. And so even if it's not on my calendar for the day, I'm like, I'm going to run with this energy because I'm going to make it productive. So yeah, that's kind of what happened. But to get more into the weeds, like on the book, I kind of thought, so I created my signature course called Unfuck Your Biz, which is the same name as it's called the Unfuck Your Biz Framework is what I teach in the course. And I launched the beta program for that last October. So by the time my book releases, it will be about a year difference. And in my mind, I really thought, oh, it would be super fun to turn this into a book because I've always wanted to write a book. I really wanted to get more into stage speaking. So having a book will help build credibility. And in my mind, I thought, oh, I'll look into starting that in a couple of years. Once I have a litany of case studies and once, you know, I have X, Y, and Z, whatever, like bullshit excuse you want to (laughs) say. Yeah. And then I interviewed Denise Duffield Thomas for my podcast in... I think it was around March and we were kind of talking about the book writing process. And I told her, Oh, I'd love to write a book in a couple of years. And she was like, well, what do you want to write about? And I told her, and she said, you already have the idea. Just write the damn book. 
And I was like, why? What do you mean? What do you mean? And she basically told me that she wrote Get Rich Lucky Bitch, which is kind of, I think that it's not her only book. It's like the biggest book, the one that probably has the most name recognition. She's like, oh, I wrote that in 2011. And she's like, when I look back at the actual first published version of that, she's like, it's hardly anything like the new version because I've already rewritten it a few things. Mm-hmm. And essentially what she was saying is that a lot of people think that they have to have like the perfect idea and have everything perfect when they write their first book because books feel so permanent. But in yep. reality, you can write a book and then use the book as a tool to actually build your business and then you can improve it from there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just because it's a printed thing doesn't mean it's permanent. I mean, just upload a new document to Amazon or Ingram Spark or you know, whoever you're using and voila second edition, revised edition, third edition. <laughs> a lot of people do think that though. So you de- you definitely aren't the only person who thought that. And now here we are. Like then you literally made it happen. And now here you are. I'm pretty sure shortly after my conversation with Denise, I just sent you an Instagram voice memo and mm-hmm. we scheduled an informal one hour call. And then within a week you were like, Hey, Brayden, why don't you write this book in the next six weeks and we can have it published by October. I was like, that feels ambitious, but sure, why not? (laughs) I mean, I didn't say that out of nowhere, though. Like, you wanted, I mean, (laughs) I didn't have to twist your arm, FYI, everyone listening. (laughs) I like to pretend like you did, because it makes for a better story. All right, yeah, it does. Well, for you, it does make a better story. For me, it makes me sound, you know, like not someone (laughs) anyone would ever want to hire, but that's fine. No, I think it makes you sound motivational and inspiring. Oh, okay. Well, uh, then I like it too. Okay. So let's talk about like the actual, I mean, you did, you wrote the book very quickly. Like what parts of the process did you like the most? Which parts did you like the least? Which one make you think like, oh, I could totally write another book like in 2021. And which parts are like, "Hmm, I'm never doing this again. Yeah, I really did not enjoy, like, I don't really enjoy doing edits. Like, I don't love doing the developmental edits. The writing the yeah. book wasn't too bad. So for some context, like, because I say that I wrote this book in six weeks, which would sound kind of crazy, probably to most people, but I already had, so I had a, like a 300 page course textbook. And so what we did was I extracted all the text out of the textbook and put it into Google Doc. And when we did that, we were at like 30 to 35,000 words. So I think I cut like 5,000 out of that. And basically the book was like halfway done already. Yeah. Yeah. You were able to repurpose a lot, which is, I mean, a great tip for anybody listening to think they're starting from zero words. I mean, I say that all the time and people look at me like I have three heads. They're like, no, there's no way I have, you know, tens of thousands of words already. And I'm like, you might, you have to see, but I mean... You had 30,000 words. You had half of your book to start from. Yeah, and I did. I did have to cut a fair amount because, you know, it's a course textbook. So all the things where I'm like, go watch this lesson video and bloppity, bloopity, blop, all that kind of stuff I had to cut, obviously. But then what I did was our outlining meeting was super helpful because for me, one thing I always really agonize over is organization and structure because I'm... Well, visual is not really the right word, but I very I think in step-by-step processes. And you would think it would be easy for me to then create those processes, but sometimes it's very difficult because things just turn into like a web in my mind. And it, I have to then string it out into a linear process. So our outlining meeting was super helpful. 
to then just get the structure. So then I could reorganize the textbook chunks. And then what I did was before I started writing anything from scratch, I went and combed through every live blog post on my website, um, all of my podcast show notes, and then every old blog post that I had, like half written blog posts, blog posts that were no longer relevant to my business. I had them all saved in a folder on my computer. I went through all of that and then just copied and pasted relevant chunks into the Google Doc outline. So for example, in my textbook, I had a couple paragraphs on DBAs. Well, I had a really old blog post that was like 1500 words just on that topic. So I was able to copy and paste that in. So once I got all of that in there, I was probably at like 35,000 words before I went in and like started cutting. So by the time I like cut stuff, then I still was left with about half the book done when I started writing. Yeah, that part, I mean, we won't lie to everybody and act like that is like a ton of fun. It's tedious work, but when you realize how far it can get you, it's totally worth it. Yeah, so I would say for me, the the most fun part is writing the new content because I really... At any point when you're editing the book, Jody, where you're like, this book has too many damn analogies. It's like over the top. <laughs> well, at one point you were like, you know, I love a good story or something like that. And I was like, yep, we do know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the reason is, so I teach, I don't even think we really talked about this, but for anyone who doesn't know me, I teach law and tax for creative small business owners. So I don't even think I mentioned that earlier. So I teach like when you need to form your LLC and when you need to pay quarterly taxes. And they're relatively complex topics. So like I was having this conversation with someone the other day, and I said, what I teach, it's hard to teach and it's hard to learn. But once you learn it, it's very easy to do. Mm. And I was contrasting that with some other courses where conceptually, um, like, Amy Porterfield's launching Digital Course Academy. I'm doing an affiliate launch for that right now. Her content's really easy to learn and understand, like, oh, how to outline a course. You're going to, like, create an outline. Great. Got it. Conceptually, I understand that. But then when you go to do it, it takes a lot more thought and timing. Does that make sense? It's kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. So I like to really just beat people over the head with the same concepts when I teach it. And I'm like, I'm going to teach you the same thing, but in three different ways with three different analogies. So hopefully at least one of these, one of these will work. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. And something will stick. And it's, I, you did a great job too. I mean, cause you're right. It is, I mean, complex material, even by like the last edit, I still had that comment in there to you. Like you got to double check this math because I'm sure it's right. But like, I can't follow it well enough to get to the right answer. (laughs) So, but you did a great job. I thought of like building on the material, like to get us as business. I mean, cause I mean, let's face it. Like, I mean, I'm your audience. I'm a business owner. I mean, I have my stuff legit, but I want to make sure that it stays that way for sure. And then I'm doing things the right way. So to take that complex topic and break it down, but then sort of like build on it, build on it and build on it to get us where we need to go. I mean, it seems like it was so easy, but I'm sure that it wasn't. Yeah, well, it was it was really difficult when I created the course textbook, because that's when a lot of the effort went into getting a step by step process. When I wrote this book, I had to do that in some respects for different pieces of content that were not in my course textbook. Yeah. But the most complicated parts, which was, so to spoil a little bit for your audience, all of part one of the book is essentially how taxes are calculated. And I always say, this is like the one week crash course we should get on taxes in high school economics, but we don't. Yeah. And it's literally, it's literally like, 
going through a tax return showing you how we could manually calculate your taxes. And that sounds super tedious and boring. It's honestly, well, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's the most riveting thing. Jody. what I always tell people, taxes are not going to get any more fun than this. So just get on board. Yeah, Um, (laughs) for sure. So going through that step-by-step process, I call it my own method because essentially I try to simplify it as much as possible, but actually show you the different numbers and the steps you would go through to estimate your taxes. And then the reason why we do that is it all circles around to actually learning how much you need to be saving to pay your quarterly taxes as a small business owner. Because what I see happen is people will just get estimates from their CPAs, and then they save it, but then they get like a windfall of cash or COVID hits, and they have to cancel all their events if they're in the event industry. And they don't understand how those circumstances then affect how they should be saving their taxes now. That becomes a problem when they go to file their returns. It does, for sure. Yeah. I like too. you have so many different like kinds of examples throughout the book, you know, like this is just a single business owner. This is a a married business owner with a spouse with, you know, W2 income and all of those different variables that can come into play because it's, I mean, for those of us who are, you know, not single, I mean, there are other things at play than just our business taxes when we're, or our business income when we're dealing with our taxes. So I think people will find that extremely helpful. Thanks. Whenever I write those examples, I'm pretty much always writing an example from like one of my actual students, even if I'm not using their name or myself personally, because like I sh- I think I share in there. I don't even remember. Is that awful when you don't remember what you've written in your own book? Because <laughs> you've read it 8,000 times now. <laughs> yeah. But I always share like when I first started my business, I was coming straight out of law school and I had basically no income, but my husband had been an attorney for 10 years. So our income There was a very large disparity in our income. And this is really common with entrepreneurs, especially when they're starting their business. So what I had to explain to people is that I needed to be saving my taxes based on our joint income, not based on my business that was barely making any money. And when you have a business that's only making one or $2,000 a month, it really hurts to have to set aside 30% of your money from taxes. But people who file married filing joint, they don't really think about that. So these are all the kind of things that we can best explain through example. Absolutely. Yeah. I made that same mistake, by the way, when I first got married and started my business. Most of us. Yeah. Most of us do. Yeah. So it was like, I mean, for me, it was like, oh, wow, look, I hardly have any taxes to pay. And my husband's like, well, this sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So like, let's get to like the fun stuff now. Like, so the book is coming. Like, let's pretend like it's six months after the book is released. <laughs> okay. What are you like most looking forward to being able to say like, this happened because I wrote this book or this happened because I released this book? You know me, Jody. I just want to be rich, famous, and popular. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> it's not too much to ask. Definitely not. But you're gonna, you want to use it for speaking engagements, right? Yes. Yeah, so I love speaking. Like my goal has always been to get into stage speaking. Like I want to be the person on stage at the big conferences I was pretty bummed because I was supposed to do my first three stage speaking events this year. I actually do still have one in two weeks. The audience now is just capped at 15 people, socially distanced due to COVID. Totally understandable. Actually, I, I kind of conflate paid speaking and stage speaking. I view them as comparable. So even if I'm not technically on a stage, if I'm getting paid, it's like yeah. up there. So that's kind of the big goal because everyone says, for whatever reason, if you have a book, 
even if it's self-published, like I'm doing, like no, no publishing company has given me like the braid, like the stamp of approval that like this book is legit. Like it could be total garbage, but for whatever reason, as soon as you have a book, people are like, I would love for you to come talk to everyone on my stage. Yes, people do. People do love people who have written a book. But just to be clear, you don't need a traditional publisher to tell you your book is legit for it to be legit. True, true, you true. Know, as, as a little aside from your publishing industry expert. I'm gathering testimonials. It's just I'm being a little bit jaded. But when I this is just also my personality. When I make these kind of cavalier jokes, I'm really kind of talking about all those bullshit ebooks out there that they're like free plus shipping and the shipping's like $15. And then you get yeah. it and you're like, Oh, this could have been like a downloadable PDF like freebie on your website. Right. And yeah. then I wouldn't have had to pay for shipping. Like that kind of nonsense that I despise. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm doing air quotes, like those aren't like real books, like this is a real book. Right, but they call themselves real books, and then they give, well, I feel yes. like they put like a dark cloud over the rest of the self-publishing industry sometimes. Well, listen, you don't have to tell me that. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been battling that in the publish industry for about 20 years now. So. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but I know I know what you mean. That is, that's a good point. So, okay, so you want to use it for speaking, for credibility for speaking. What else? Like, what are your other goals surrounding the book? Really, the biggest goal is that the book is a pre-launch tool for my course. Yeah. So yeah, this isn't something that I'm really going to like talk about on my own podcast because, you know, I'm not like buy my book and then you're going to like download the free chapter of my book and then you're going to be entered into a sales funnel to join my course. But we're on your podcast, Jody, and this is important <laughs> for your listeners, I suppose. So that's the big tool, right? Like, I'm not writing a book because I want to be like a rich and famous author, if that's even still a thing. There's like four mm -hmm. of them. Yeah, not many. Yeah. And I'm don't, I don't even really like at someday, Jody, I would love to be able to walk into a Barnes and Noble and see a book with my name on it. Mm -hmm. But I don't really care about like any awards. Like I don't ever strive to be a good enough writer to like get it. I don't even I don't even know what those awards are, but whatever they are, I don't really care about that. It's more so just to warm up people for my offers. And then, of course, it was very important to me, Jody. Of, of course, that even if no one buys my programs, they're not going to be like mad that they spent $30 on my book. They're still going to be like, this is a lot of great information for the money that I spent on this product. Oh, yeah. Even if they don't take one step further with you and your other products and services, like they're going to learn so much just from reading this book. Yeah, so it's it's basically taking like all of the blog content that could be out there for people in the online and creative small business space, and then putting it in like an actual system and framework. So you're not getting just a ton of like mismatched information all over the place. Yeah. And even if I mean, not to give you like another plug, but I mean, I've been in business for more than 15 years. And I learned, I learned new things from reading the book. So I mean, it's really like, it's very, very educational. For sure. And well, I like appreciate said, that. As much fun as taxes can be. Yes. Well, I'll take all of the plugs I can get. You know, I have no problems with self-promotion. <laughs> I guess this isn't self-promotion. It's you promoting. Either way, I'm here for it. But I'm going to flip the script. I have a hard time being an interviewee because I'm so used to interviewing people. That's okay. We're going to do it anyway. Okay. Tell us one thing you learned from the Unfuck Your Biz book. I learned... It's like the nitty gritty of, well, okay. One thing that's like not nitty gritty that I learned is that S Corp is not, I'm going to screw it up now because I haven't read it in like 
three weeks. <laughs> it's not a filing status. It's an entity type or it's not an entity. To, see, now I said I learned it and I'm screwing it up. Yeah, you got it backwards, but you were I on the right track when, when you were started. Yeah, it's not an yourself. entity type. It's a filing status. Yeah, see, because yes. I'm not an S corp. So, and you say in the book, a lot of people have that confused. So it's not just me. Yeah. So do you have, you don't have an S corp. I don't. Yeah. So what, what we're talking about for your listeners, if you're curious for one little legal nugget here, a lot of people think that an S corp is an actual entity. I just burped a little bit. Hopefully everyone didn't hear that. I tried to suffocate it as much as I could, but I didn't hear it. Okay, great. God, I'm, I'm killing it today, you guys. So <laughs> an entity, like an this is LLC, the real braided Drake, everyone. this is the real braided. So an LLC, a C corp, those are legal entities. An S corp, you don't go to the state and file an S corp. You either file an LLC or you file a C corp with your state. And then you can file additional paperwork with the IRS that says, I want my LLC to be taxed as an S corp. So an S corp is actually, we call it a tax status. It's not technically a type of entity. And when I say people don't get this a lot, it's not really that big of a deal as long as it's formed correctly, like your level of awareness or knowledge on that, not a huge deal. But I'll Mm -hmm. always ask people, well, what's your actual entity? Do you have an LLC taxes an S corp or do you have a C corp taxes an S corp? Because the answer to that question then informs what other paperwork you need to be filing. Super fun. Yeah, it's, I mean, not super fun, but super necessary. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the whole point of your book and what you teach people is like to do things the right way, like to get themselves out of trouble if they're in trouble and then like turn things around and then stay on track. Yes. And it's also like, I have a lot of themes. So I think it's because I relate to this on such a personal level. I don't think that's most people just assume, oh, you're a tax attorney, so you probably just have your shit together. And that's not really the case. So I'm a, definitely a procrastinator. I'm very proactive in my business, but in my personal life, I'm a procrastinator when it comes to like saving and like paying off debt and all this kind of stuff. I drag my feet until I feel like I have to take action. So mm-hmm. I don't really do that in the back end of my business because I have the educational background to like know what's at stake. And that's enough motivation for me to be relatively proactive. But all my students who are not proactive, like I really relate to them and I understand when they just kind of have their head in the sand, they're nervous to check their mailbox because they're afraid there's like hate mail that's hiding in there from the IRS, all this kind of stuff. And I totally get it. So the main goal of the book really is just to help people get out of that and take ownership as the CEO of their business. Well, I've noticed, Jody, is recently I've been trying to get really into personal finance because What I've kind of realized for me personally is that there's anything I really don't like, I can actually kind of manipulate my brain into thinking of that thing as like now being my hobby. So I'm going to deep dive into personal finance books. I'm going to listen to like five audio books. I'm going to start like reading blogs on investing. And the more I learn about it, the more interesting it is because it's now it's not scary and intimidating. And I want people to do the same thing with the law and tax stuff in their business. And by doing this, I say you step into the CEO role of your company, because even if you have one client, like you have a company, I think we always think of a company as like this big, scary thing. And you're the CEO of your company and you need to take things seriously or you're never going to be profitable. You're not going to grow all this kind of stuff. Super important. Love it. Well, and it's written in a way that is not like what you're expecting with a tax and legal book. (laughs) You know, I I hope you don't take that as an insult, but you know what I mean? Like it's written in a way that it seems like, oh, somebody like a real person wrote this, not some, you know, like lawyer in a corner office 
dictating it to a secretary. And then, you know, like, it's very like, it's like approachable. And that's important. I learned that lesson in like the first six months of my business. I remember the first few blog posts I wrote, they read like legal briefs. And then luckily (laughs) I had... I had some like very good business friends who were just like, Brayden, no, this is not going to work. Go back to the drawing board. And that helped a lot. Like I remember one of the very first blog posts I wrote was titled, which business entity is right for you. And one of my friends very smartly pointed out to me, they were like, what the hell is a business entity? Right. Yeah. What does that even mean? Right. <laughs> right. They said that's good SEO. Like if you're speaking to people who have an MBA and work in finance at a company and now want to go out and start their own business, because that's what they're going to search. But you're serving creatives. They don't understand that. So for yeah, example, they would, for they would never search for that. So for example, I found out through a lot of searching and looking at Pinterest keywords that a lot of people were searching DBAs versus LLCs. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't even understand this question because a DBA is not an entity. It's like a DBA is a license that you go get, a fictitious business license when you're operating under a name that's not your own name. And then I finally figured out, oh, people are referring to sole proprietorships as DBAs. They're just conflating those. But that's really helpful for me to know because now I can write blog posts and make Pinterest pins that are, should you have a DBA or an LLC? And then the first paragraph is like, BT dubs, a DBA is not an actual entity. So let me fix that. (laughs) Let me fix that for you. And then we'll continue. (laughs) Then we'll we'll move on. Yeah. Right. But I mean, you have to know who you're talking to. Right. I mean, with anything you write for your business, that's important. But for a book, it's, I mean, it's just as important as it is with that blog post. So, I mean, it's good to recognize that and to then, you know, like use the tools you have, like you said, like check out the search words on Pinterest. What are people looking for? And then, you know, write accordingly. Exactly. Like who's my, well, not my ideal client, my ideal reader. I don't know if you have an acronym for that in the publishing industry. No, we don't have any lingo for that, but that's all right. It's okay. We don't need it. All right. Listen, we could do this all day, but (laughs) I don't let anyone leave the podcast. I don't let anyone leave the podcast without telling me like what's something you're reading right now or what's something that you recently read that you loved. Please don't make it a personal finance book because I'm definitely not adding that to my to be read pile. Well, I, you know, I'm going to. I know you are. I know it. That or some like random Russian literature. Okay. So Joe, this is okay. So Jody, this actually, sorry, another side tangent. This circles back to my smart people thing. So in my head, I'm like, smart people read Dostoevsky. I really need to read Dostoevsky. But in reality, I don't like reading Dostoevsky. It's not enjoyable. So like, why do I keep doing this to myself? I don't know. I don't know. So I was a Russian language and lit major in college, which sounds very deceiving. Really, I studied Russian language and I was required to take two Russian literature classes to get my degree. And essentially, I pro- I was very good friends with my Russian lit professor. We'd go get lunch all the time after class. And she'd always tell me, she's like, so are you ever going to actually read the books that we're discussing in class every day? <laughs> and I told her, I said, at some point in my life, I will go through our entire reading list and read all the books I was supposed to have written in this class that you generously gave me a B plus in. So that's on my life to do list. But I have not read any Russian literature in the past month. So Okay. I should give you the things I actually have read. Yes. Do audiobooks count? <laughs> yes, they do. Okay, good, good, good. So I, in the past few weeks, I've listened to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. 
Highly recommend. Okay. I've been telling all my students, it's a much less brotastic than it sounds. It actually gives you like a very, very good step-by-step. The thing I love about this book, highly recommend for everyone. I'm actually going to kind of tell people to use it as a sequel to Unfuck Your Biz, because after you get your biz unfucked, then you can start working on your personal finances because you have all your cash flow in order. And in this, the author basically tells you step-by-step, he's like, first, you want to do a 401k match if you're an employee. And then if Mm -hmm. you do, after you max that out, then you're going to open a Roth IRA if you qualify. And if you don't qualify, you'll do this kind of IRA. And then if you're self-employed, you'll do this. So I love a good step-by-step. So that was great. But the next thing on my, I listened to two other personal finance books, but that was my favorite one. So I'll recommend that one. Next on my to-do list is every October, I reread the whole Harry Potter series. Oh, in the month of October? Yes. Wow, that's ambitious. But they're very bingeable. I'm having kind of mixed feelings about it this year due to all of the happenings that's going on with J.K. Rowling this year. Uh, but we yeah. don't need to get into that. We can we can talk <laughs> about that personally later. Okay. <laughs> but agreed, yeah. Okay, that's a good... Why October? It just feels correct to read them in fall. Okay. So usually what I... It's a whole process. So I usually close all my curtains and I have a very nice Bluetooth speaker and I put on an eight-hour playlist of the Harry Potter soundtrack, instrumental music, while I'm reading and I light my candles. And before I start reading, I go to Starbucks and get a venti pumpkin spice latte. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And that's basically what I do in the evenings and on the weekends during the month of October. And then every Christmas, when I go home to Indiana, my mom and I rewatch the whole Harry Potter series the the movies movies. together. Yeah. Okay. Do you like the books or the movies better or can they not be compared? Well, I mean, they can't really be compared. The books are so much better. I'm the fan that like would totally be here for like an, an eight hour, like line by line version of the movie because it's upsetting mm. to me like how much they leave out particularly and we could get into this on a whole different podcast too jody like the very specific things that they leave out that i think are very essential to the plot but you know we don't need to go there i've heard that also i will say to you and you're going to be shocked probably people tend to be when i say this but i don't like the harry potter book have you read them all i have read them all and i just like i can't get into them And I know I'm like probably like one of like four people on this planet that's in that boat. But yeah, like I just I've never been able to get into them. Okay, well, that's a little upsetting to me, but we can still be friends. Disappointing. I know. I'm sure it is. But yeah, I've only seen a couple of the movies. Maybe I should watch all the movies and then give the books another try. I do say sometimes I'll give the books another try. We'll see. Yeah, the movie, the movies are pretty good. I like them. The movies are really hit and miss because they actually they had four different directors over the eight movies. So I find the movies to be fairly disjointed, particularly like as a child, the fourth book was my favorite. And the fourth movie is my least favorite. Like that director was just Ooh, really terrible. He didn't, you can tell he didn't understand the characters because he did many of them at the service. Got it. Okay, interesting. One of my godsons, he studied film in college and Harry Potter was like his thing growing up. So, I mean, I'm, I'm well-versed in the movies <laughs> and good, what good. works about them, what doesn't work about them. Yeah. Cause he'll probably, he'll probably tell you like the first two movies were directed by Christopher Columbus and they were like very great for children. The third movie was directed by Alfonso Curion and he's more known as like a very artistic director. So he made okay. a lot of artistic choices that like, 
filmmakers really loved. Like they think it's unique and interesting, but it definitely kind of pivoted. The fourth director was just kind of an asshat and he made a lot of decisions that, so there's a scene where there's a dragon, like a flying dragon. And he wanted to have the dragon burn down the forbidden forest. I, I saw this in an interview. And if any of you like know Harry Potter, you know that the forbidden forest is like very important in the plot and many of the books and this director just wanted to be like, oh, we'll just burn it down because that would be interesting to watch on a movie screen. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. Like that doesn't make sense. So that's a no-go for like Harry Potter fans. Yeah. And luckily JK Rowling like really put her foot down, I think, on that and was like, no, you can't do that. So mm-hmm. But that's interesting because a lot of times the author doesn't have any say. I mean, I'm sure JK Rowling does because she's, you know, JK Rowling. Yes. But... Okay. So so f- Last set, last side note, and then I'll let you close out this podcast, Jody. So, all right. <laughs> I was watching a YouTube video, an hour and a half long YouTube video about the construction of Harry Potter world. Again, as one does, I do a lot of interesting as things. Does. Uh-huh. Yes, as Brayden does. So they said that they were originally in talks to do this at Disney World. Universal ended up getting it. And the CEO of Disney, what ended up being the hanging point was that J.K. Rowling demanded that there was a life-size version of the Hogwarts Express that could take guests into Diagon Alley. And basically, Disney World was like, no, that's stupid. It logistically doesn't make any sense. It would be too expensive and take too much room. And she was like, okay, so I'm going to go with Universal because Universal was basically like, whatever you want, J.K. Right. Whatever you want, Joanne. Wow. That's an interesting little tidbit, I have to say. I bet they're, I mean, not that Disney's hurting, but like, I'm sure they're kicking themselves a little bit about that, right? I mean. Yeah, basically in this video. So I'll give credit where credit's due. It's her name is Jenny. I think it's Jenny Nickel Nicholson, Nicholas Nicholson. But if you're interested okay. in Disney and you love, they call them video essays on YouTube. I love watching video essays. Hers are really good. But she said that to kind of counteract that Disney World created the avatar like avatar land so she's like something oh, that like lit- uh-huh. like literally no one asked for like that's what they decided <laughs> to build <laughs> and there's like all this weird all this weird avatar merch that again like no one really wants and obviously when it comes down to like avatar merchandise versus like overpriced 50 dollars plastic harry potter wins like wands who do you think's winning that battle yeah that's very interesting. I didn't know that about the Avatar stuff. I did always wonder, though. I was like, I didn't realize Avatar was like a thing again. But okay, that makes sense now a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's not really. But I do like as Pandora, the world is very aesthetically pleasing. So I do understand how that makes like a very interesting theme park. Well, yes, that's true. That's a good point. That was an interesting aside, Brandon. Thank you. Yeah, nope. Yeah. yeah, I got I got a lot more where that came from for the next for the next episode. No doubt. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy you came on the podcast today. This was such like a fun conversation. Also educational, got lots of good book stuff in there. And I can't wait to have you back on the podcast like a few months after the book comes out so we can talk about like how all of these goals actually got met when the book came out. Yes. Can I plug my book freebie real quick? Yeah. Okay. If anyone's still listening, if you made it through that discussion of Harry Potter, then (laughs) you can go to www.bradendrake.com forward slash book to get a free chapter of the book all about LLCs. I mean, if anyone wants to follow me and hear more of my rants and ramblings on IG stories, my Instagram is Braden, no Y, B-R-A-D-E-N, Adam, like the biblical figure, Drake, like the rapper on Instagram. Awesome. We've got that stuff in the show notes too, so people can find you. But thank you so much for being here. This was very fun. Thanks, Jody. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Write, Publish, Market podcast. I know just how busy your schedule is as a business owner, so I'm grateful you've taken some time out of yours to journey into the world of book publishing with me today. If you are looking for even more book writing, marketing, and publishing information and support, check out my mentorship membership, the Author Entrepreneur's Lab, where each month we take a deep dive into one element of the book world with education, a Q&A session with me, your book publishing expert, resources, co-writing times, and so much more. You can learn more at the link in the show notes. I hope to see you inside the lab. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.